You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Don Guerra. This is WFHB Local News for Wednesday, July 29th, 2020. Coming up later in the program, WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner delivers a report titled Monroe County versus the Huffs. The story covers a lawsuit filed by Monroe County against a local property owner at Lake Monroe for logging on his 250-acre property. More on that in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Monroe County Community School Corporation will now move to online classes starting August 12th. WFHB correspondent Alex Detterer reports on the future of the fall semester at MCCSC. But first, your local headlines. Six hundred and thirty new cases of COVID-19 were reported in Indiana on Tuesday, according to the Indiana State Department of Health. There was one reported COVID-19 death. Locally, Monroe County saw seven new confirmed cases yesterday, while Lawrence and Brown counties saw 23 and seven new cases, respectively. After a Monroe County Community School Corporation vote yesterday, in-person school reopening will be pushed back by a week. The school board meeting was not open to in-person public attendance and was conducted through video conference instead because of COVID-related safety concerns. The reopening delay came after teachers and supporters protested outside the school board's headquarters on Tuesday, calling on the board to postpone the return to in-person classes. Protesters wore masks and physically distanced from one another. On Sunday, the teachers' union published a letter to the school board asking for the delay of in-person classes. The letter claimed that the majority of union members, according to an internal poll, want to delay the start of in-person classes, preferring a full virtual start instead. From the text of the letter, it's unclear how many union teachers responded to the poll versus how many wanted to delay the start of in-person classes. An eyewitness told WFHB that multiple police cars, lights flashing, parked at Seminary Park last night. The witnesses described how people began to leave the park with, quote, blankets and crutches in hand once the police arrived. Seminary Park is a well-known gathering and resting place for people experiencing homelessness in Bloomington. The sheriff's office has yet to release arrest information for this morning. The Monroe County Council discussed a distribution recommendation to the Monroe County Local Income Tax Council regarding public safety local income tax funding during their July 28th work session meeting. Council member Cheryl Munson said the funding would support rural fire departments outside of Bloomington city limits for 2021. Munson said some rural fire departments applied for grants as a collective. Since 2017, Uh, These fire departments have consolidated into into what is becoming one major rural fire department, and that's the Monroe County uh, Fire Protection District. And so each year we've had fewer and fewer uh, applications to consider as 
uh, people have uh, joined up with the district or uh, actually joined together in um, in other team efforts to provide rural fire protection. Munson said the state of Indiana would typically report an amount of available revenue as an estimate and later as a final number. Munson said there was a delay in the first reported estimate. Councilor Jeff McKim said the council created their own estimate based on 90% of last year's revenue. He said this would be a conservative estimate. Because remember that the, the revenue that comes in in 2021 is actually comes from incomes that were earned in 2019. So the actual incomes are not affected by COVID for 2021. This is money that's already was was already earned by taxpayers before the uh, the the pandemic hit. Um, the only question is that uh, although the the tax deadline was extended till July July 15th, we still don't know if some taxpayers are simply going to be unable to file their taxes by July 15th. Munson said 90% totals to approximately $7,807,000. She said 4.5% of the estimate would be used for public safety. Our local dispatch center, uh, our public safety answering point, has a proposed budget approved by their policy committee of $2,247,490. And um, we just plugged in that number and considered um, an approximate number of 4.5% from the revenue estimate, the conservative revenue estimate. And that total amount, was $353,700. And that would leave to be divided among the county, the city, and Ellettsville and Steinsville, uh, a total of $5,188,022. Munson said each submitted application included the establishment's most urgent needs and an estimated cost. She listed both the requested amounts and the suggested support from council. For the requests by Monroe Fire Protection District, uh, they asked for 215000 and we are recommending 170000 for fire station remodel and one mobile repeater. This is to enhance communications uh, that are interrupted by the hills and hollows. For Richland Township, they asked for 20,000 for one mobile repeater, and we are recommending one mobile repeater for 20,000. For Bean Blossom Steinsville Volunteer Fire Department, they, are, they asked for ex, an exhaust ventilation system in their fire station, five mobile repeaters, and part-time personnel for a total of 173,695. We are recommending funding for uh, their exhaust system and two repeaters for a total amount of $83,700. Benton Township asked for mobile repeaters in the amount of $58,294, an interior exhaust system of $80,000 and renovation of the station at $195,562, and we recommended funding for their exhaust system 
in the amount of $80,000. McKim furthered the importance for providing fire stations with exhaust systems for healthy working environments. Council member Marty Hawk said the city council would have the final controlling vote for distribution. Council members unanimously approved the recommendation to the Monroe County Local Income Tax Council. The general election will be held on November 3rd from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can vote at your polling place in Monroe County, but the preferred method is to vote by mail. Monday, October 5th at midnight marks the deadline for voter registration. You can download the voter registration form by visiting MonroeCountyVoters.us. You can also register online with an Indiana driver's license or Indiana State ID. Monroe County Election Central said poll workers are needed. To work the polls in Monroe County, you must be a registered voter in Monroe County, attend training provided by the election board, work as an inspector, judge, or clerk, and have access to transportation. If interested in working the polls, you can email the county party's recruiters. For Orion Saft, the Democratic recruiter, email monroecounty.pollrecruiter at gmail.com. For Pam Samples, Republican recruiter, email pamsamples at gmail.com. For more information, contact Monroe County Government Election Central at 812-349-3690. Bloomington Parks Department Operations Director Dave Williams proposed a design contract with Aztec Engineering Group for the Bicentennial Trail to the Bloomington Park Commissioners. Williams said connectivity from Switchyard Park to Weiner Road would be the ultimate trail goal during their July 28th meeting. On the left, uh, in Roger Street, uh, on the right-hand side of the illustration, the aerial map, would be the start of the trail. It is literally right across the street from the entrance, the main entrance on Roger Street to Switchyard Park. This trail project has been talked about conceptually for almost as long as I've been with the city of Bloomington, but $1.4 million was included in the Bicentennial Trails and Trees Bond to uh, construct a multi-purpose paved trail within the roughly 150 foot wide easement that Duke Energy holds um, under their power line towers that run from Rogers Street to Weimar Road. Williams said the 1.3 mile portion of land is owned by three different parties. He said 0.9 miles of the land is owned by the Monroe County Commissioners. And what we think we can do is build from Rogers Street, where there'll be a walk-in trailhead, a 12-foot wide paved trail, which is our standard, uh, and go to the western edge of the Monroe County Commissioners' property. At that point, there would likely be a pedestrian, bicycle and pedestrian roundabout or turnaround. The planning department advises us that the two private properties, which are formerly the Sudbury Farm properties, which are now owned by development interests, are required by way of the very dated but still valid Sudbury Planning Unified Development Proposal, which will put the responsibility on those developers to continue the trail all the way to Weimar Road. We just do not think we can go all the way to Weimar 
uh, nor should we, particularly if it's a developer responsibility. Williams said Aztec Engineering would design the 0.9 miles of the trail, including a future connection plan for the rest of the trail. Williams said a pedestrian safe sidewalk connection to the warehouse property from Switchyard Park would also be included in the project. But it also provides a bicycle and pedestrian safe route on the east side of Rogers Street. We will also include a pedestrian activated strobe pedestrian crossing signal, if you can think of 4th Street and Rogers, um, with the rapid beacon lights that pedestrian can activate, vehicle stop. People can cross. So we'll have a sidewalk connection to Switchyard Park and by way of this crossing to the trailhead of the Duke overhead power line trail. And we'll also have a, an, a side path connection. Williams said the crossing would be open to bid after the designing process. Commissioners unanimously approved the design contract. The MCCSC School Board met yesterday to vote on the start and instruction style of Monroe County Schools. Here is WFHB News correspondent Alex Dieterer with more. The Monroe County Community School Corporation School Board met Tuesday and unanimously voted to bring teachers back to schools on August 5th and students back to class taught virtually August 12th. The COVID-19 impact on the community will be re-evaluated September 11th to determine whether to continue online instruction or to move to in-person learning. Before the school board meeting, dozens of Monroe County community members and teachers held a rally on East Miller equipped with protest signs in favor of delaying in-person teaching for the 11,000 MCCSC students. Teachers and community members attended the board meeting to share their fears for teacher and student safety in question for in-person teaching. The entirety of what the board approved is as follows. 1. Teachers will begin August 5th and students will begin online August 12th. The school year will end May 28th. 2. All students will begin with a classroom teacher as if in-person teaching was beginning and students will be paired with their teacher to ensure connection is made while learning virtually. 3. Teachers will teach from a location that best meets their needs and classrooms will be open for their desired use. 4. The impact of COVID-19 on the community will be re-evaluated September 11th, and families will be notified one week prior to any change from online to in-person learning. 5. A committee of the Monroe County Health Department, along with health and science professionals and educators, will assist in providing a community metric that will determine when students may return to in-person instruction. And finally, a team of curriculum experts, principals, parents, and teachers will determine the structure for online instruction and will determine a plan for when in-person instruction will begin. This team is currently being developed. For WFHB, I'm Alex Dieterer. Last summer, Monroe County sued a local property owner for logging and working on part of his 250-acre land on Lake Monroe located near South Shadyside Drive and within mere feet of the lake itself. A year later, the lawsuit continues to be just as pressing and relevant to the lives of those involved and the surrounding community and environment. We turn to WFHB correspondent Katrina Bruner for more on this topic. The reasons for the lawsuit initiated on May 19th of 2019 include unauthorized development along the shores of Lake Monroe and excessive clear-cutting which could have detrimental effects to the lifespan of the lake's health and the county's primary water source. 
According to court documents from last year, the charge asks that the court, quote, mandates the Huffs to immediately restore and stabilize the land and vegetation they disturbed or removed, or caused to be disturbed or removed, from portions of the Huff property that exceed 12% slope, end quote. The county is currently in the middle of a hearing on the motion for preliminary injunction. The hearing began on the 16th of July and will continue on until the 31st. Once completed, a ruling will be issued by Judge Holly Harvey, who has been on this case. The issue of fines on the plaintiffs will be addressed in detail as well. The defendant's side includes landowner Joe Huff and his wife, Nicole Huff. An aerial picture was taken April 22nd of 2019, showing the clearing that had already begun on four of Huff's 250 acres. On May 16th, Monroe County filed a complaint against the Huff Trust for multiple violations of county ordinances, seeking an injunction against activities the county considers in violation of said ordinances. According to court documents, the Monroe County Board of Commissioners stated the complaint that Huff was unwilling to come into compliance, not having a permit before beginning construction on the site and leaving the county no choice but to seek an injunction. The county is also arguing that the Huff property is located in the Environmental Constraints Overlay Zone, established and regulated by the Monroe County Zoning Ordinance. According to the plaintiff's side, Huff must need an improvement location permit and a land use certificate before proceeding with excavation activities on the property. The Huff Trust would also be required to submit a site plan to the county. There has been at least one stop work order issued that was ignored by the Huff Trust after county attorneys stated that it was a violation of zoning ordinance for them to proceed work without a liable permit. County attorneys have stated that with each day that Huff and or the contractors continue work without these approvals, they will be subjected to fines. If charged, fines will be $1,000 for the first day, $2,500 for the second day, and $7,500 for the third and each succeeding day after if the violation continues. The county has also argued that the excavation on the property is on slopes steeper than is allowed by county zoning rules. Throughout the case, Huff has tried a change of judge, change of court, dismissal, and has countersued the county, alleging defamation, among other things. In terms of the environmental effects that the Huff Trust has caused from construction, it is difficult to get factual answers on the topic. However, by clear-cutting the forest in mass quantities, erosion and sedimentation are the top concerns, especially for the county. The property owned by Huff, near South Shadyside Drive, is just along the shores of Lake Monroe. Within approximately 10,750 acres, Lake Monroe is the largest inland body of water in the state of Indiana. Access to the lake is available through four state recreational areas, two state wildlife refuges, the Hoosier National Forest, and 10 public boat ramps. Approximately one-half of the 190-mile shoreline is owned by the county, leaving the rest owned privately. Monroe County has passed ordinances creating the environmental overlay zones in the watershed, and a comprehensive study of Lake Monroe was written up and published for the county by IU, specifically the School of Public and Environmental Affairs, in 1997. The study showed that through extensive research, the following claims could be made and would require management actions from the county. 1. That water transparency is poor, which means limited light is available to algae and decreases the aesthetic quality of the lake. 
Two, phosphorus concentrations are high, which classifies the area studied as eutrophic. Three, naturally erosive alluvial soils along stream banks and valley bottoms in watershed contribute sediment loading into the lake. Four, shoreline erosion is a serious problem, contributes to poor water transparency, sediment accumulation, degraded aesthetics, and property damage. Five, sediments taken from Sugar Camp Creek had concentrations of arsenic, chromium, nickel, and zinc. The study also stated, quote, urbanization of the watershed is proceeding at increasing rates as Bloomington expands southward and more people desire country living. Construction on steep slopes and shallow clay soils is characteristic of much of the watershed has potential to increase current sedimentation rate, end quote. Although there are many issues that the lawsuit presented for the county, the issue of logging on property acres is one of the state, not the county. Monroe County has no authority to regulate logging anywhere, mostly focused on road development and other issues. Logging, however useful and practical for economic development, can also have detrimental effects on the environment. Huff has reportedly used the legality of logging to develop road infrastructure on the property in violation of codes designed to minimize erosion. The issue that often can come from logging is overlogging or logging in an area that does not have enough land set aside for long-term preservation. This can lead to ecological degradation and water pollution. Simply put, without the balance between economics and the health of our environment, issues can arise. A healthy environment is always needed for humanity to survive and thrive both locally and nationwide. According to neighbors of the Huffs and county reports, large areas have been clear-cut and bulldozed down to the shoreline, leaving little to nothing to help filter out pollutants from entering the lake. This is where concern for the lake comes in. Lake Monroe is constantly in danger of effects from erosion, from land clearing and degradation, and pollution from runoff in the watershed. For the community of Bloomington and surrounding towns, this lake is an absolute vital resource. Nearly 200,000 Hoosiers depend on the lake for safe drinking water, but it also provides jobs for many people in the community. One local resident on South Shadyside Drive commented on the issue, saying, quote, The county's lawsuit against the Huffs will have huge implications as to whether or not protecting our water source is even possible, end quote. In terms of impacts that the Huff's actions have had on the surrounding community, the changes that the area has seen has caused disturbance, according to another resident on South Shadyside Drive. The project of logging and clearing land has been ongoing for about two years now, according to one source, and has had negative effects on the neighborhood. Noise pollution is the number one disturbance from heavy logging equipment, chainsaws, and bulldozers. Another example of disturbance is smoke from burning, logging, and land-clearing debris. A significant amount of smoke ash falls into the neighborhood on dry, windy days, resulting in multiple responses by the Clear Creek Fire Department. One neighbor stated, quote, The smoke and ash is so overbearing at times it's difficult to be outside. The situation has caused consistent frustration because shortly after the fire trucks leave, the fires are relit. Quiet days with clean air have been rare, end quote. Another neighbor explained the issue at hand right now between the county and the Huffs, saying, quote, This case, in essence, boils down to the issue of logging, which the state controls. Huff claims to just be logging, therefore the county has no jurisdiction, end quote. 
In his recent brief defending against the county lawsuit, House stated, quote, Unlike what the county claims, the extent of the activities and use of equipment on the Huff property amount to nothing more than the maintenance of a forest operation, end quote. There will be a hearing this Friday, July 31st, on the case between Monroe County and the Huffs, where Judge Holly Harvey's ruling is likely to set the tone for the future of our vital resource and drinking water. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. Thanks for listening. Up next, WFHB correspondent Aaron Comforti talks to Indiana University spokesperson Chuck Carney about the university's requirement for international students to quarantine upon arrival, its process for reopening for the fall semester, and scenarios if an outbreak were to happen. We now turn to Aaron Comforti for that interview. I'd like to welcome Dr. Chuck Carney, Director of Media Relations at Indiana University to WFHB Local News. And I want to start with the university's requirement that international students take some measures to quarantine when they arrive on campus. Domestic students, on the other hand, won't have to quarantine. The country that sends the most international students to IU, South Korea, has an infection rate of 29 out of 100,000 people. Indiana's rate is 32 times higher than that. What's the logic behind the different rules for international and domestic students? Well, uh, what we are asking students to do, well, are two things. One is that if you're a student who's living on campus, then we're asking that student, uh, and this is actually on campus or in a Greek house, then they have to have a COVID test in the 10 days prior to returning to campus. So um, that, that is one thing that that we're asking them to do to make sure that uh, that they are uh, negative when they come to campus. And in addition, we are planning to test students upon arrival, and that's all students, whether, whether or not they're living on campus or not, uh, for uh, COVID-19, so that we will know once they arrive if they need to be immediately quarantined. But in speaking otherwise directly to your question, all of our students are asked to follow the CDC's COVID behavioral guidelines for at least 14 days prior to arriving uh, on campus. And so that means they, of course, need to wear a mask. They need to physically distance and avoid, avoid large events. And so that, that would effectively keep them in a position where they are away from people in those two weeks before returning to campus. That, in addition to the fact that we'll be testing the students or asking students to have a pre-arrival test if they live on campus or in a Greek house, plus we'll be doing testing once they arrive on campus. Uh, We feel like that will offer protection as as best we can. Well-known schools like the University of California system and the University of Cambridge have announced that they are not reopening in-person classes this fall out of safety concerns. Why did IU come to a different conclusion? Well, this is what our plan is right now. It's a fluid situation, and we are constantly reevaluating. And things have uh, do look different than they did in late May, and so it's it's something that we're going to continue to keep an eye on. And uh, and so we we're still working towards the goal of having students back on campus right now. If we need to adjust that at some point, we will. So it's, it's something that is 
ever-changing at this point, and we are all trying to get a handle on exactly what the uh, the future is with this disease uh, as a country, not just as Indiana University. And so as we do that, we're going to be evaluating what the situation is in that particular day. It's something that is, I know everybody gets tired of the word unprecedented, but there's no other way to put it. This is not something that we have faced before. There's no manual for it, but we are putting our best uh, public health uh, information forward. We're trying to consider all factors to make sure that we make a decision that keeps the health and safety of our students and faculty and staff first and foremost. Indiana had an average of three new infections per day in the week that IU closed in-person classes and finished the semester online. Now Indiana's average is 812 per day. What made IU decide to reopen, and is there any hard line for closing in-person classes in the future? Well, that's always a consideration, and it's hard to say what that hard line is because it's not like we can look back to 2018 when this happened before or some other date. It's just not something that we have had happen, nor has anyone have uh, had happen. So we're continuously monitoring it, having discussions on a daily basis within our own public safety teams, but also with the state authorities and trying to make a determination. In the end, we're going to do what we feel like will keep people safest and will allow us to continue instruction in the best way. Uh, And we want to do what will make sure that we are doing what's right for our students and our faculty and staff, because uh, we, we we, we have a mission of education here. And we're going to continue that one way or the other, but we're not going to do it at at the great expense of public health. We're going to operate in a way that is responsible and as safe as we can be. Dr. Chuck Carney is Director of Media Relations at Indiana University. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Aaron Comforti and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Alex Dieterer, Katrine Bruner, and Aaron Comforti. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Don Guerra. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast, as well as all other WFHB news programming online at WFHB.org. You can be part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for Cool Solutions, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.